0: good morning fortune seekers it's early i need my coffee and pax unplugged 2023 starts in two days honestly i do not have the time to tell you why our guest kervin Kaliza, is amazing hey hey, hey joel he can just, joel, joel, yeah
1: quick question could you uh say my name correctly that would be wonderful kervin khaliza Kaliza. Kaliza. Kaliza, like at two k's Kaliza, like uh, Khaleesi. That's what I said, Khaleesa. Oh, Okay, please Isn't continue. It? No, but Is I'll it not
0: you. I, okay, well, rewind the tape on that one, because I think I nailed it in one, but he disagrees, and you know what? That's what he's here for, because he's going to mansplain why he's amazing to you today. That, and so much more on today's episode of the Moth Studios Super Secret Podcast, Shh. Don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, water drinker and convention stinker, Joel Watts. Joined as always by... Danny,
2: well-equipped with coffee. A step ahead as per
0: usual. And today we have a very special guest... We are joined by now. I'm nervous to say it, Kervin Kaliza, of Four Y Games.
1: How are you doing today? Kirvin? I'm doing well. How are you? Nailed
0: it. Hey, Kervin. Uh, You know. Hi, Danny. I'm going to say you get a different energy of Joel in the morning. This is actually when I'm at my peak. You know, wild. So I prefer Valley Joel. Yes, I think that's much better for the show to be be on the (laughs) other side. I like Sky Jol. Okay, today, okay, we are going to be talking about breaking into the game industry and creating online communities with TikTok. But before that, as always, I got a little something for you too. We got the question of the week. Now, this week, we answered this question last week, Danny and I, so we don't really have to retread. But, you know, go back and listen to that episode for our answer. But you're asking the same question
2: of the week, two weeks in a row.
0: Well, Kervin requested it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So we wanted to ask Kervin because it was such a good conversation starter. What is your favorite convention meeting, uh, convention memory and make this before pre board game TikTok. So it's a little, you know,
1: it's a little more grounded. Uh, I would say my favorite convention memory was at Gen Con about 12 or 13 years ago. I signed up for my favorite board game of all time, which is Dungeon Fighter. It's this dexterity game that you bounce dice onto a table, onto a board, similar to the game Quarters. And when I sat down to the game table, the hottest guy in the world sat down next to me. And I was just like, this is going to be awful. Because I get weird when you look at him. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and then and then, uh, there's, in the game, you have to like throw the dice onto the table. And there's this uh, enemy where you had to do a helping hand shot where you had to put the dice in someone else's hand, hold their hands, and then throw it onto the table. And I was just like, uh... And he's like, oh, here. And he, like, grabs my hands and the dice, and I don't know what happened, but apparently I threw the dice... I, like, held his hands, threw the dice, and it landed on a bullseye with a head up, which is like an insta-kill. And I just remember being like he was (laughs) drinking." It's pretty great. That is. I didn't realize you went to
2: Gen Con 12 or 13 years ago.
1: Oh, yeah. I was reminded when I signed up uh, for my Gen Con ticket, uh, it said, do you want to add my ex-boyfriend to, like, the event I signed up for? Because we signed up together. Yeah, creepy.
2: That is creepy. It's a a little invasive there. Yeah, I said no, obviously.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Not on good terms?
2: No, I'm spoken for. He wasn't kind enough. Okay, that's fair. Is it Ken Enough or ken Ken-uff?
1: It's Ken-uff. Ken-uff. He Ken-uff? wasn't ken
2: Mm-hmm. He
0: wasn't. Enough for Kervin? Is that what that means? No, no,
2: no. Yeah, it's ken
0: Joel, Jesus, Joel. I don't know Have you what seen you're the speaking movie? Of. Oh, Ken Enough. Ken Enough. Yes, I've seen the Barbie movie. I didn't realize. Uh, I, I was just uh, not re- re- realizing that was the reference. Because, to uh, be clear, you uh, know Barbie's not air-headed. the one with the bomb, right? <laughs> Barbie's not the one with the bomb, yeah. No. Oh, I yeah. No, no. I think uh, Barbie, you know, uh, basically destroyed all of existence with the movie that she created. You know, she is the destroyer of worlds.
2: Okay. Well, we should, we should we're off to a again. weird start this morning.
1: Yeah, I have nothing. We are. Curvin, you <laughs> yeah. always bring out the best in us. I'm so yes. grateful. Yeah, I'm supposed uh, to well, say
2: that Ashley gave me this shirt. She'll 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 be very oh. disappointed if I don't shout her out. I there.
1: I was gonna get yeah. I was gonna ask if she gave it to you actually. So it would it a good I'm guess. Actually, mm-hmm. yes. Well.
0: Th- well, thank you Ashley for contributing to the show with the shirt that you put on Danny. It looks great. And uh, She did I just not wish put it on. She's on my reference. She's not
1: a child, Joel. <laughs> she dressed me this I'm not morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god.
0: I'm I'm not convinced to curve him. Ever dreamed of embarking on legendary quest, unlocking hidden secrets and discovering untold riches? dive into the world of X Seekers of Fortune. It's the game that's soon to be taking the internet by storm. Sign up today at xseekersoffortune.com and start your journey to greatness. Remember, fortune favors the bold. See you there. So, Kervin, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Um, So we should probably, uh, that was a great convention memory, but we should probably get into talking a little bit about you and what you've done. Um, Now, I usually like to start out by asking, what is your board gaming origin story? Like, where did you first
1: start playing games? Uh, My board game origin story, uh, it's a little different. I started off with Super Nintendo, Nintendo, all the classic games. I actually bought Super Mario Legends 7 Stars and a Switch because they released it on Switch. I spent the last three days playing that. I played a lot of board games in middle school, a lot of skippo, a lot of taboo. And then my first modern board game, I played at a convention that's held at Rice University every year called OwlCon. And uh, my first game was Mage Knight. And if you know anything about Mage Knight, it is not a gateway game. It's super crunchy. But the guy (laughs) was a really good teacher, and I've been playing them ever since. That's awesome.
2: Do you still play Mage Knight?
1: I'm sorry? Do you still play Mage Knight? I own it. We can play it sometime next time I'm in town. Okay. I, I wouldn't mind doing that. Out. So, Mage
2: Knight crunchy. is
0: I you were and this was at what age? Like you were in your teens?
1: Middle 20s?
0: Mid mid 20s, yeah. Okay. Nice. So, uh Mage Knight, what did that what did that lead you to? That you'd said it was very crunchy. I know that you're kind of mid crunchy when it comes to gaming, if I'm at correct. Best
1: yeah um and that just kind of like opened my world to the types of games that are out there the board game industry was very different 10 12 13 years ago i remember like when you were in it you could go into a friendly local gaming store and then look at all the games and have heard of or have played most of them
0: and so it was a big
1: deal to go to like an FLGS and be like hey that's a new game i'd love to try that out and now i miss the board game renaissance which is when like all the board games started coming out and now I'm lucky to go into uh, an FLGS and maybe recognize a third of the games. A lot of the new ones, uh, it's hard to keep out. I think there's like four or five thousand new SKUs that are entered that are like new every year that enter the board game industry. So it's a lot
2: harder what to be th- on top of. What do you think? Like in terms of like peak market saturation, in, in terms of games being produced per year. I mean, do you think we're, we're near peak? Do you think that we still have some time before we reach the total, you know, sort of the peak before the market's oversaturated and starts falling back the other way? I mean, what, what's your view
1: on that? It's interesting. I used to think we weren't close to the peak. And then I started to talk with people in the industry, people who've worked for bigger publishers, people who work for publishers who use IPs, and they think we've, we're past it. They think that the, bor- that the board game industry is gonna be a lot harder to enter. And that there'll be a lot more small or a lot less smaller publishers in the near future. And that most of the board games are going towards super crunchy IP deluxe editions of games we already have or IPs that people love. And if you looked at any of the board games that came out this year at like it's, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're right.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting is that seems to be following a similar trajectory that Hollywood did where we see like the marvelization of Hollywood, everything has to be a sequel. Everything has to be, an IP in order to get made a ton of money gets put into big pictures and sort of like the small indie darlings increasingly, uh, fall away. You end up with a very, um, homogenized, uh, output from the industry. So hopefully, hopefully board games won't be that extreme, but, uh, I mean, that, that, that's a extremely concerning trend if, if that's the direction we're heading.
0: I mean, it does seem like both board games and Hollywood probably are now being led by people coming out of the same schools and the same colleges of uh, you know, economics and business. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's just a trend you know, for that, this generation of businessmen to push towards those uh, results.
1: I think it's also hard because when you're immersed in the board game forums and you go to conventions, you feel like, like the bar- you learn that the barrier of entry is really low. And if the barrier of entry continues to be low, people will just continue to flock. And so when I first heard that, I had to genuinely think about it and realize that, like, they're not completely wrong. Um, I personally don't think we've hit a peak yet, but then again, I'm I'm biased. I'm very much, like, in the weeds, talking to aspiring board game designers and publishers and playtesting games. So I'm hoping to do my part to make sure that there's still a lot of new games coming.
2: I mean, that seems... Economics that was, I've looked at suggests that like mm-hmm. we've still got four billion dollars or so of growth left in, in the market cap before at the end of the decade. So I, I hope that that's the trajectory we're on because that would imply there's a lot more space for for people to participate.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I think I was, also that depends on uh, like the target audience and whether or not people are starting to market outside the target audience and growing the board game industry. I think a lot of their mm-hmm. assumptions are based on the people who are already here. And I think there are mm-hmm. people who are designing games that are, that have different target audiences and different types of games with different themes that will make the board game industry continue to grow as well. Yeah,
0: we just talked to. Well, we just had a call with uh, Dustin from was it Ducks so- Samoan, the creator of Botany, and I feel like I, that. I, game I'm not going brings... to endeavor
2: to pronounce something like that without having heard it before. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> but anyways, I would guess uh, that the second word is like salmonum. Or something. Like that. Somon,
0: duck somnium do. Du, it's actually probably do. du somnium, because uh, it's French, right? Anyways, but the thing with his game is it's called Botany, and it's about you know flowers and growing, growing plants and going exploring to finding flowers. And I feel like that's the type of game that brings new new fans in, new people who are like, I don't want to play games, but I want to experience you know uh, Botany, literally Botany.
2: Yeah, I think I think also though to your point, Kirvin, I mean. There's a lot of um, I mean, this is a lot of what you talk about on on TikTok, right, surrounding diversity and how we can get more perspective in games, how we can, you know, kind of step away from sort of the generic, um, you know, pool of themes that we've seen before um, and creators uh, that maybe share, you know, the same historical perspective and innovate within the game space by bringing fresh voices. in. is that, you know, resonate with with what you're saying?
1: I, like I, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, yeah, when I first started on TikTok, my goal was just to make games I wanted to make, and in order to, like, have an audience for the games I want to make, I had to explain where I'm coming from. So a lot uh, a lot of my TikToks, which are like traditionally considered board game TikTok, I talk a lot about my life and my inspirations, and I talk about like my humor, and I share parts of my definitely a lot more parts of myself than a lot of other uh, publishers and content creators do. And one of the reasons is to try to expand the target audience and have people have a better understanding of where I'm coming from. Because in the board game design forums, whenever I've posted something, I, it, I either get one response or people are just really confused.
2: Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how people react to you know new voices, um, and it seems like a lot of times, like certainly this isn't universal, but a lot of times people are are really reluctant to to see change uh in the industry. Uh, you know, they want to just continue to retread the same stuff that they've retread. And again, this is not speaking for everyone, but it, it's always interesting to me that that people are resistant to, to new things. Um, you know, I would think that it would be exciting to see game themes uh, and perspectives that you've never seen before because it's an opportunity to have a new experience. Um, and I place a high value on having new experiences. So the idea that people would, you know, just want to kind of double down and, and see, you know, a, a repackaging of, of of the same idea they've seen three or four times is kind of um, alien to me. But you've done a tremendous job, I feel, like in like reaching out to people, you know, across the industry and, and, and providing help and support, especially for people who are up and coming. I think like Kia Nomadic Games is a great example of somebody who is extremely talented, has a very unique property that they're developing and um, you've exposed me to them and, and um, I'm really grateful for that. That they, they seem to be doing really exciting stuff and I'm excited to see where, where their game goes.
1: I feel like be- uh, my approach to like board- the board game industry in general is very different. So when you talk to a lot of BIPOC designers and publishers, they talk about wanting to like support each other and the majority of BIPOC designers I've met, the majority of people who supported them are other BIPOC designers and publishers. And I've had the opposite approach, or I would say approach, I've had the opposite experience, where for me, the majority of people who've helped me are allies. And I've been very grateful for the time and energy that they have spent to help me with my games and help me with my videos and help me be successful. And a huge part of the board game industry is like donating your time to aspiring designers and just paying it forward. And that's something that I try to do. I'm on the board game design forums, not necessarily because I, I want to like contribute to the board game design forums, uh, but mostly to find BIPOC designers, women designers, queer designers, and lend a helping hand because I know that it's really hard sometimes. Board
2: game TikTok and board game designers in general that I've interacted with are amongst the most generous people in terms of their time and mm-hmm. genuine intention to, to help help each other.
0: Yes, totally agree with that. But to go back to what you were saying, you said, like, the idea of, like, BIPOC people helping each, like, supporting each other. Are you saying that that can kind of just, like, it doesn't spiral into th- something bigger usually? it's just sort of, like, stays within that small pool of influence and it doesn't, like, expand out if you're not, like, going out for allies or people outside of that pool?
1: I mean, the board game industry recently just started having initiatives to increase diversity. Uh, mm-hmm. Gamma has their diversity fellowship. Uh, PAX Unplugged has their their fellow program. And I think the majority of them are TTRPG-related. I could be wrong. Um, and I don't... And unless you go to conventions or unless you know people, it's really hard to kind of break into that circle. When I joined TikTok, I was one of three minorities. Not even on, like, board game design TikTok, just, like, board game TikTok in general. And majority of my time and energy has been put into the app because I feel like I understood what the app could do and the potential and the apprehension that everyone has with the app that I could utilize that for what I wanna do. And so trying to figure out Instagram or YouTube or like Facebook, when I've already figured out TikTok and trying to navigate the audiences uh, is a lot, is very difficult. It's very difficult. And I was, I was surprised that, I, that the, most people go to conventions to network. I go to conventions to solidify the network I already have. When people are talking about it's so hard to make connections unless you go to conventions, I find it harder to network at conventions because there's people I have to talk to and people I want to meet and people I want to play games with. So it's a lot. I was at Gen Con for, I was there for a day and a half. I, I can't believe I was there for only a day and a half. And it was so much fun, but super exhausting. And I couldn't imagine having to network, play games and like, put on the face that you're supposed to have on TikTok and super friendly, because I I can't do that for that long.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it seems to me, you know, as we get ready to go to PAX Unplugged, uh, this is our second convention. It's the first one since we've been on TikTok for a substantial period of time. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are going in there with meetings and intentions to meet people and their, their schedules are, are, are busy and I'm sure they can meet people on the floor. But the reality is, is that they've, they've kind of pre-established who they're going to meet and spend time with before they even got to the convention, which points to what you're saying, which is it's about solidifying your network and actually meeting with the people that you're already interacting with. And TikTok has proven to be an incredible platform for connecting with people. I mean, we have so many relationships with people that we've never met in person and the only you know uh, you know initial contact that we had was through tiktok you know initially with liking and 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 commenting on on each other's videos and then that becomes dms and then eventually you 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 have a relationship offline albeit virtual but then you're getting to packs unplugged and you're meeting with those people and it's already pre-arranged so i think if you're not trying to use social media and to, to grow your network in advance of these confec- conventions, you're, you're definitely, you know, leaving opportunity on the table as far as networking yeah. is concerned. 100% because, agree with you on that, Kirvan.
0: Because it seems and, like everybody's going to already be huddled up. Like if you're going there having met nobody, everybody who's worth meeting is probably already going to be huddled up into their little meetings and to their little, you know, they've already pre-clicked, if you will. And you're, you're walking into a lunchroom, you know, clueless like a Mean Girls.
1: I mean, I, I can tell you that the big creators, their schedule has been filled for weeks. Like they've been, mm-hmm. um, and so I, at, at Gen Con, that, that's what I realized when I was at Gen Con, is that at most of the people like who are on TikTok, because they're also publishers and designers and industry people, their majority of the time that you can hang out with them is after the exhibit hall closes. So most of the people who are publishers, they're working booths. If they're a content creator, they're working for boot, They're working at the booths to offset the cost of conventions because the badge can be expensive, the hotel can be expensive, et cetera. And so once that closes, it's kind of like a free-for-all. And mo- most people try really hard to keep that open, not necessarily out of FOMO, but at, but out of like you don't know what type of mood you're, you're going to be in. And you were just on for 9, 10, 11 hours. And the idea of leaving a convention hall to go to another meeting sounds miserable. And I wouldn't want to do it.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. People are exhausted. I mean, Comic Palooza ran us, uh, you know, exhausted the entire time we were there, and we were just there one one day, right, Joel?
0: Yeah, we were we were at Comic Palooza for one day, but it was a long day. We got there basically when the, the convention opened and stayed until they were kicking us out. I would say it was at least a twelve hour day of nonstop playtesting and networking uh with maybe a break here and there uh but you know us taking breaks and shifts just to walk the convention floor and grab a a refreshment or a bathroom yeah when i
2: walked the floor like everything was closed already and Mm -hmm. i just happened to be able to come into contact with an artist and have a conversation with them and 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 that was productive but uh, in general i mean if you're not if you're not getting those meetings in advance you're you're definitely kind of picking from you know what's, what, what's left over in people's schedules. And, and, that, and that could probably be frustrating if that's your intention of going to something like packs and plug for a networking. So I, I did want to ask you something, um, Kervin based on what you were saying earlier about TikTok as well, which is, you know, you mentioned how TikTok has really been your approach to growing a network and, and sort of building your brand in, uh, the, the board game space. Um, how has your approach been received by more established industry people when you talk to people who kind of come from a more conventional background or ideas about how, how, to, how to grow in, in the industry? How do they react to your TikTok strategy?
1: Uh, it's one of two folds. The first one being, it's in the board game industry, you'll hear a lot of the same phrases repeated. Whether people believe them or not, they're just like sayings people throw out without ever meaning, without knowing the meaning. So you'll hear a lot that TikTok's not a place to grow an audience. It's a place to funnel your audience. And also, people say there's no ROI on TikTok. People always talk about, like, ROI. And, like, it's, and they're, they either look at me like they're confused, which is the first one. And then the second one, it leads, it opens doors for me. Because there's public, there's any publishers who have huge names and IPs and games, and they wanted to get into TikTok. And so... They, I, I let them pick my brain and I and I help them to, like understand at least to my best understanding on how the algorithm works how to grow an audience who who that they should hire for uh content that's probably been my favorite as of late has been in the last like seven eight months I've got to like get my friends paid for doing really great reviews uh, but for the it's it, it's very hit or miss it's very hit or miss because people but regard Everyone wants to be on TikTok, I just don't don't think people want to do the work to do well on TikTok. And people are very quick to say, oh, Kervin, you make it look so easy. You're just like in your car talking about your feelings. And it's more than that, right? Like you have to have something interesting to talk about. You have to figure out editing. You have to figure out the algorithm. You have to figure out how to be interesting. And not only that, you have to interact with other content creators. Most people, when they talk about audiences, they talk about like growing their listservs or growing their like discords or their mailing lists. And I haven't done that. I don't have a mailing list. Uh, I just have DMs on TikTok. And my majority of the people who are in like my audience are content creators. And I think when I launch Marsh Hollow, that's when it's going to become really like beneficial for me.
2: It's a great, great uh, segue here on in terms of diversity, going from you know the idea of voices in the board game industry to the diversity of game categories, and and maybe what it's like as a game designer to try to go from one category to the next, because that's sort of what you're endeavoring to do right now, right? Because your your initial game, uh, allow me to mansplain, uh, would be more or less categorized as a party game, and now you're endeavoring to to make a roll and write. So how's that been for you?
1: Uh, Being a board game designer, I'm sure you know what it's like to have a billion ideas and then wanting to spend time on the ones that you find the most fun or the most interesting. I think for me, it's different when your first game's a party game. Uh, It sounds cliche. When I first was doing a bunch of research, uh, there are people who would say things like, just because you're a party game designer doesn't mean you're less of a designer. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And that's something that recurring, you heard for advice for aspiring board game designers. And when I entered the industry and I ne- I announced my game was allowing me to mansplain, there kind of is a feeling that you're not a real designer. When you talk about prototypes and games you want to work and people say, oh, there's, I designed this game based off this book. I'm going to have to like get their IP, but there's like seven different languages and there's this like grid where a replacement, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, Kervin, what are you working on? And I was like, a party game called no homo they look at you like mm-hmm. you're crazy and it's yeah. it's trying to convince game designers that there's different types of games like the people say that it's, there's games for everyone but then people are surprised uh, that people want to make different games and that confuses yeah. the bejesus out of me
0: uh, it's it's funny i the way that you're saying that it's uh, we were always told or we we're often told that we uh, with x seekers of fortune we have such a great concept for a game because it's a card game most party games are, you know, card games, you know, keep costs low, manufacturing costs low. They always say you should start with something that's like low manufacturing costs just to get your feet wet in the industry. And yet if you, a party game is perfect for that. Aside from like a novelty set piece, you know, they're usually card uh, or um, notepad oriented, you know, and so the cost should be very low. It should be a very early game for somebody to create, and yet people would snicker that that would be your first game or not consider you part of the club. That's, that's wild. I mean, that's actually a really perfect first game for somebody to make before they get into the much more gritty hardcore stuff that you're mentioning with uh, you know, layers upon layers of pieces and components. I think party game
2: is also just a term that's a little misleading because it, I think the idea that you're calling it a party game kind of almost lessens, lessens the game because it implies that it's like f- about fun and it's a bit frivolous. Whereas in reality, these are typically games that are highly social. Like, I mean, social gaming, you know, I know that has a different connotation with social media, but I mean, one thing that I think I've heard you say in the past, Kervin, and I know I've heard Jack say with respect to serial killer, is that the conversations that arise from playing the games are often some of the most meaningful conversations, period. And, And those don't feel like party conversations. I mean, maybe a certain kind of party, but in reality, they're doing deep work, I think, in terms of helping people be exposed to ideas and sharing ideas and experiences. So again, I th- I think party really doesn't sell the category adequately.
1: Well, I also feel like when you play party games, that's when you get to sh- like share parts of yourself that people normally don't see. And I'm not talking about like embarrassing things. I'm talking about just like You can tell how people's brain works, like when they play party games or you can tell you can talk about different experiences. And there's things I've shared over party games that like are like super fun and quirky that I've never it's just never come up while playing like a mid crunchy euro.
0: I think that one thing that's crossed my brain, I don't know if I have the full ability to articulate this is it's just the kind of people who make games probably don't consider parties to be socially, you know, like a high priority in their lives. A lot of the people who make the crunchier games. And honestly, let's face it, games at the dawn of man were probably designed in two spaces. One was complete solitude. And the second was around the fire, having a good time. I mean, like why are most of our games, you know, why most parties have games associated with them. Flip cup, uh, beer pong, uh, would you have, uh, I what is that one? You know, the one where you hold up fingers and it's like, yeah. I've never, ever done this thing. Never have I ever. Never have I ever. Like most games are, or, or you know, circle around the idea of being at a party. They're just called drinking games for a reason. I think that it's just, you know, it's like one of those things where, um, you know, the popular kid is not getting respect for being clever or something.
2: I think designers often approach games from two different perspectives. And there's probably more, but these are the two that seem, you know, obvious to me right now. One is being really people focused and really about like understanding and interaction between individuals. Mm -hmm. It's very, very socially minded. And then the yes. second is, is, is more systems-based and more mm-hmm. math-based. And you're, you're more interested in seeing how things move in relation to each other. And it's about managing, managing different aspects of a system. And I think that those two sort of mindsets you know, often are reflected when you see kind of the variety of games. I mean, you can kind of categorically say, okay, this is a game that's really about the social interaction. This is a game that is really about the mechanics. Um, and there's overlap. I mean, those aren't, it's not a binary but mm-hmm. you know to me it seems like those are the two p- predominant approaches I, I don't know how y'all feel about that if you would add any 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 nuance there
1: uh, the only other nuance i would probably add is the people who love really crunchy really heavy games that take hours and you can get analysis paralysis from are the type of people who generally don't like party games in general and are not good at them and being yep. in a space that you being in a space where I enjoy party games, but I also enjoy like middle crunchy games, I definitely have a perspective on the types of party games I'd want to make to make them more accessible and more fun for people who normally don't like them. But also, I know why people don't like heavy, like have like heavy crunch games, and trying to figure out ways around it or make it more accessible or just present it in a way that is a lot less intimidating, and you'll get people who like, who are willing to at least try games that they normally wouldn't because
0: it's too hard quote unquote one of the neat things
2: about marshall go ahead joel
0: well no i was just going to round that out i mean i was just going to say the people who uh enjoy the crunchy games and don't respect the party games we have a name for them on the internet this day and age and they're called STEM lords and you know they tend to downplay the humanities aspect of education and I think in general they don't under, they, they they only think seemingly they, they dig deep on mathematics and engineering, and they don't respect anything that comes from the arts or humanities. And it could be you know it could be dangerous you know or, or I think it, I think personally it could be dangerous for our society if uh, people are just so focused on thinking that all that matters is engineering and science. That's like there's so much more to life than engineering and science.
1: It, what's the Did difference between? The, yeah. What,
0: do you say? What do you mean, we?
1: We call them STEM lords.
0: Yeah, we the royal
1: we. What's this like? STEM STEM lords. I, I I've never heard the uh, term. Oh,
2: science, that. technology,
0: inter- engineering, Wait. mathematics. Oh,
1: yeah. STEM. Like STEM. Okay, sorry.
0: Is
2: that the same heard- thing
0: as an edge lord? It's they're in a ver- they're very much a Venn diagram.
2: What is an edge lord?
0: I mean, edge lord is just somebody who says like you know. Um, like envelope pushing stuff, not for a agenda, but just to get a reaction out of people. Are That's they postal workers? No, post postal workers. I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> Does What's it the because,
2: overlap between postal workers and people who push the
0: envelope? Uh, based on what I've, the postal workers I've met, maybe a sliver.
2: It's very narrow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I met a, I, there's actually a guy in my delivery zone who I deliver to. He works for UPS, so a little bit different, but he's a really nice guy. I think he's former military. Maybe that's, and he has a big beard, but that's about as much edge lord as he has. He has a really great personality and he definitely appreciates, you know, the finer things in life, like Domino's pizza. What is happening currently? I don't know. We're just talking. <laughs> we're
2: we're waiting we? for you to save us, Kervin. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, Danny did, the, Danny did that saved. thing where he hyper-focused on my analogy instead of my point. And then we got down into uh, a little bit Wait, of Wait, you had a point? Well yeah, my point was that what edgelords are, which are people who say oh, okay. who say gotcha. edgy things just for the reaction and just because it's like, oh, isn't that you know, oh, what do you think of that? You know, instead of it actually being for a point. Sometimes you say you sometimes you have to say controversial things because you need to get people to think and to push them out of their mindset, but edgelords just do it because they're like, mm, that's what an edgelord is to me. Okay. Mm. I was wondering
2: how to classify you. So that's that's good information, Joel. Thank you. <laughs> Kirvin, do you have experience no, I, with edgelords?
1: No comment on any of that. I don't know what's exactly. <laughs> happening.
2: All right. Okay. Well, uh, well. Um, so, go ahead, Joel. All
1: right.
0: Well, I was just going to say to get us back on track. Did you? Do we want to talk at all about? Um, well, Kirvin, I mean, you have, you're in the middle of creating your second game, but we should talk about your first game and the creation process of that. Allow me to mansplain, which is a party game, but it's the kind of party game that's going to get everybody um, a little tense. Uh, especially at the table we were at when we got to play, which was such a fun time. Um, what was the, you know, we talked about your origin story as a board game player, but what is your, what was your origin story in deciding to design, allow me to mansplain and how did that go?
1: I woke up in the middle of the night wanting to buy a mansplaining party game. And I don't mm-hmm. wake up in the, middle of the night ever. And I don't, I'm not an impulse buyer either. So I like went and there was like three, uh, mansplain, mansplain it. And, um, I think that it was just you, and I looked at the rules, and it played more like a trivia game, which confused me, because mm-hmm. everyone mansplains in their own different way. And I wanted one that played a lot similar to Taboo, and then I complained about it for like three months straight to everyone in my life because I really <laughs> wanted this. And then I was at an H E B in the fruit section, talking to one of my friends, complaining about it, and he was like, "Well, what would it look like?" And then we designed 75% of the mansplaining in the like fruit aisle of H E B. And then that turned into making a prototype, that turned into taking to work because my coworkers asked what I was working on. And then I started to do all this research, trying to figure out if I could have it manufactured, if I could self publish it and realized I could. And then as a joke, I put on the list of things to do with TikTok. I joined TikTok. I creeped for about four and a half months, reluctantly made my first 12 videos. There was, it was more than just one, uh, if you ask any of the OG 4Y Games followers, they were like, Kervin, you clearly didn't want to be there. And I said, correct. I didn't want to be there. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad, I, I'm glad I stuck it out and it's kind of where it's led me today.
0: Hmm. Man, I, well, a, I love that your origin story involves HEB because if you're from Texas and your origin story doesn't involve an incident at an HEB, are you really from
1: Texas? I'm I was I miss Texas I miss Texas as they come, born and raised. Yeah, hell yeah, brother. Like I love it. I miss Texas.
0: <laughs> uh, we hope to have you back soon.
1: Uh, In Texas. No, is it? Uh, to be clear. Uh, be not gonna, uh, no. No, no. yes, not often. No, um I believe i <laughs> will be back relatively soon and we'll have a game night for sure. Excellent. Um, um I'm now, excited I'm, to
2: have the opportunity to, to catch up at PAX for sure. Go ahead, Joel. Mm-hmm. Sorry.
0: Oh, I didn't think you were going to Pax Curvin. You said you were you weren't. And that, that whole thing about Ben lifting you on his you shoulders. Said, you said you said
1: you weren't convinced. Time. I thought you acknowledged I was lying, so you said you weren't convinced.
0: <laughs> He's a babe. Go yeah. <laughs> God, I am not gonna look. I don't of by all by the things you've called me Danny, the you know Edgelord that. is like the one I hate the most.
2: <laughs> I feel um, like Will right now is gonna have like Joel Watts, comma <laughs> edgelord superimposed over the over your video for the rest of the uh for the episode He's
3: giving... He's giving <laughs> kervin's like this phones. is going off the rails yeah
2: <laughs> this is last time i did I'm... a super secret podcast i can't yeah. i can't
1: wait to see what you post on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: gonna be uh, joel's edgelord Lord supercut. yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um now when we were talking about allowing me to mansplain the thing that i thought like really showed the heart of the game uh was that you said you play tested primarily with your like uh your theater buddies
1: is that correct no i i play tested primarily with women all of my Co-work coworkers, women, right? my coworkers, yeah the majority of my playtesters were middle-aged black women and they thought it was hilarious and if you if you've i want to be a while, test you know that like i have a very intense memory for details specifically mm-hmm. with conversations and so mm-hmm. all of the opening lines, so in explain, Mansplain, uh, before you start explaining something, you have to read a, a phrase that a man would normally say before they explain, Things like, at least my mother would, or if you're pretty or someone would have told you. And all of those are things that my girlfriends have told me that men have said to them over the years. And so, and that's the part, I think that makes one of the few parts that makes my game special is that, yes, it is really stressful, but it's also really like cathartic. And I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to make a lot of mansplaining was because mansplaining is such a part of being a woman, or so I've been told. And if I could insert one funny, one ridiculous, one absolutely memorable memory of someone mansplaining horribly, and all you do is laugh, maybe it'll make the next time you're being mansplained to more tolerable.
2: I definitely think it does that because like when you play the last thing you want to do after you play the game is be perceived as mansplaining like as a man (laughs) like you play the game and you're just like oh okay let's not do this in real life that would make me feel real real dumb like I would definitely feel like an edge lord after after inadvertently mansplaining to someone Hmm. Joel comment on that personal experience
0: (laughs) I mean I feel like it's a way for me to act in a way I I don't believe I ever do in real life I could be wrong but it allows me just to step into the shoes of a character who's you know is somewhere in the back of my mind who sometimes pipes up and makes commentary but I, I rarely you know uh, inhabit but women in my life tell me am I wrong have I been a horrible mansplainer I'd love to the feedback I'd love to be better
2: that's my favorite thing you've ever said on the podcast asking mm-hmm. for advice on that uh, the feedback that's golden I really appreciate mm-hmm. you doing that
0: yeah. No. Well, it's mostly just a test to see if the women in my life watch the podcast. And if they don't, I'll know now.
3: <laughs>
2: um, I think, you know, I've played allow me to mansplain twice now, and I think I enjoyed it more the second time than I did the first time. And I enjoyed it a lot the first time. Mm-hmm. It, it is a really fun game and it's deceptively simple, but it, it, it it pays to kind of curate who you play with. Like I want to play the game with people that I'm curious to see how they think and approach, because like you were saying before Kirvin, like you really get to see how people think when they're looking at that card and trying to, to communicate something in a way that is actually going to be uh comprehend com- you know, something that the people that they're playing with can comprehend. Um, and you, you really see where communication breaks down and, and, People start, you know, banging their head against the wall, saying the same thing over and over again, unable to actually communicate. And you, mm-hmm. s- you kind of realize if you're in that boat, like, oh wow, well, maybe I'm I'm not that great at communicating because I'm just trying the same approach over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. So I anyway, don't pretend- I think. It, well, go ahead.
1: I don't pretend to understand the nuances of being a straight man or straight dating because I am not. I don't participate in either. Uh, but. Designing a lobby to mansplain and playtesting lobby to mansplain legitimately made me feel sorry for women. It was wild. So, my favorite story from a lobby mansplain that I tell all the time is they had to mansplain how an automatic door works. And five, six men literally like read the opening line and they said, quote, You walk up to it and it moves. And that was it. And the, the women were like, uh, Can I a cat? Have- and, and the women, and the women were like, "Can I please have more?" I'm like, no, that's it. Like, I don't understand how you don't understand what that is. And then when women would explain that, they literally would say everything from like, you're, you're at a grocery, you grab a grocery, you're at a grocery store, you have a cart, and you're trying to enter the building, and this happens. Anything from motion sensors to even just like uh, when kids pretend playing Star Wars and use the Force. Mm-hmm. I, I heard everything, but mm-hmm. when you walk up to it, yeah. it moves.
2: The the moral of the they story a, they here they is that a scene. the moral of the story here is that if you are trying to explain to someone something and they don't understand what you're saying, the answer is not to just double down on your poor explanation. It's like okay. try to figure out some point of reference that you can connect with them on. Don't just Expect that people are going to come over to you and understand exactly what you have in your head. You know, it's a black mm-hmm. box. The way you see the world is not the way everyone sees the world, and you are doing yourself a disservice if you're insisting on people understanding what you're saying purely on the basis of how you think. If you want to be understood, which I, I hope that most of us, you know, endeavor to to do, uh, you should put some effort into making sure that your explanations are things that you know people can actually digest.
0: Mm-hmm yeah i would just add to that if you're playing a taboo game and you need to create you know set a scene in somebody's head just remember the journalist you know way of telling a story who what where when why you know go back to those if you're if you're like you know if you're hyper focused on the what try the where you know switch over to one of those when you're playing these style games
1: and going going back to a conversation we had earlier about like different points of view i i feel like being a woman in general, you're just very misunderstood, being like clear or being BIPOC. Not everyone's going to understand you. And we spend the majority of our lives having to explain things in different ways. And I didn't realize how much straight men generally don't have to, they never had to learn how to do that because they're around people and systems are in place to where people just generally understand what they do. And I, it was wild to me
0: hmm that's interesting i mean i've definitely been in situations where i mean i've definitely had uh well i'm just slowly reflecting back on my last relationship and uh the person i was with was not very good at explaining things she expected me to know what uh you know yada basically yada 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 would mean you know it's like you know fill in the blank it's like i don't know what your blank is but i do think it's a skill that's underrepresented or underutilized a lot of people get away with Just being able to say, you know what I mean, and the person who they're explaining to is friendly enough just to be like, "Yeah, I know what you mean," and even though they don't, you know. But it is it that's why we play games, or that's one reason I want to design games because I think it's continuing education. You know, it's developing skills and communication, especially with these taboo-style, you know, party game-style games. It's all about the social interactions. I think there's a lot of people make it to adulthood without the proper skills. Uh, from a lot of different walks of life, and you know, these games allow us to develop those skills. Um, to you know, together in a you know in a safe space, or hopefully in a safe space amongst each other.
1: I'm gonna go on a so why marshmallows?
0: Really hold on, oh, go ahead. Hold on.
1: Yeah, I'll do marshmallows, but I'll do, I'll do this quick. I'll do a quick <laughs> tangent really quick. So I born and raised in Houston. I went to Omaha for college. Let's stay there for ten years and then moved back. And filler words are when you don't. Instead of using silence, people will say like or mm-hmm. uh, uh, in that you know. Sense. Mm-hmm. But in Nebraska, everyone says you know. And I got annoyed <laughs> with that really quickly. Because mm-hmm. if I'm asking you a question, mm-hmm. like, well, you know, and I would respond, no, I actually don't know. Like, well, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't. And they would get mad at me mm-hmm. because I would put my foot down and be like, do not explain something with well, you know, because it's condescending, even if it's just happened. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knocked the you-know habit out of all of my friends because I was like, I will not tolerate that. We need to help on that, that. one.
2: I, when I re-listen to the podcast, there's a lot of you-knows. A whole is lot of you-knows.
0: Is that a performance review for me? No.
2: I, no. I, 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 this is a self-evaluation. This is not an <laughs> okay, cool. edgeboard sure. evaluation.
1: Yeah. And because my degree is in theater, <laughs> we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get rid of filler words, and they just kind of beat it into us. Not well, not physically, obviously, but... That just be silent and to learn to be comfortable in silence. And so we we did a lot of exercises where you would say stuff and then we'd just like stay in silence for six seconds and then continue on a scene. And I'm a lot less awkward. I'm a lot less awkward when it comes to silence. Like I'll, I'll I love that's one of the reasons why I don't have me to mansplain. I didn't put a limit on when a person mansplains because there's a lot of awkward silences. And when people mansplain, there are awkward silences. And I wanted men to listen.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. maybe the first time ever so Mm -hmm. that's why I didn't put a limit on that game
0: yeah because I think that conversation came up was like uh, when we were playing the game you know like you know the classic you know there's a should be a minute long timer or whatever but uh, you you, you made a great point when you said that it's like that takes away some of the mansplaining or some of the you know the weirdness of the social interaction you're trying to create
1: so marshmallows Marshmallows. So <laughs> I designed a game called uh, Marsh Hollow well, with my co-designer. Her name is Kelly. Uh, it originated when I was cleaning my room. I found a postcard that she had created for her senior thesis. Uh, she's a yeah. comm design, com design from Syracuse. And for your senior thesis, you had to take one object and then use it in a bunch of different mediums, from um, advertising to woodblock carving. And she even made postcards. And I saw this postcard. And I saw the game Marsh Hollow. So I, I took the postcard, went to her, and I said, hey, do you want to design this game together? I explained to her the game. I'll, I'll send you the picture of the after result of me explaining to her what Marsh Hollow looked like, because it's wild. Um, and we've been working on it on and off for the last seven months, eight months, and we enjoyed every second of it.
2: Can I see the postcard?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you I'll send it to Will also so you can include it in the thing.
2: Now've yeah, we've, so. we've been lucky enough to, to play uh, early versions of this and I'm excited to play a uh, more mature version of it at Pax Unplugged here in a couple of days. Um, what has been the biggest challenge for you changing categories here and designing a role and write? I, th-
1: I think the biggest challenge is just learning how to design a role and write. As a genre, it is highly saturated because mm-hmm. they're easy to make. And I put that in quotes and I roll my eyes because they're not easy to make. Mm-hmm. There, there's probably seven or eight of them that I genuinely enjoy. And then maybe two or three of them that I think are designed well. I think in the roll and write genre, a lot of people make artistic decisions over user experience decisions. I think mm-hmm. people are just making what's already been made and don't really care necessarily about getting people to learn to love Roland rights. I think most Roland rights are aimed at people who love Roland rights, and that's one of the things I wanted to do is figure out a way to make them more accessible, uh, a lot less, a lot more approachable, and just fun.
2: What do you What do you think makes for like a good Roland right from your perspective? Right, everyone probably finds different things that they enjoy about the the category. But for you, when you're looking at a roll and and saying that was a good one, what are the qualities that it has?
1: The, the base qualities of a roll right are they can be played solo and it can scale uh, really easily. Uh, and then there's there aren't a lot of words in roll and writes. Everything is replaced with iconography. Uh, and I'm not the biggest fan of that because the iconography resembles the legend of a map. In, because you can have icons... So in the game, I probably have 25, 30 marshmallows. And instead of representing them all with the same marshmallow, we have 30 different variations of the same marshmallow. And I don't know too many games that have done that, where they take an icon and represent it in different ways, and yet people still know that's what the icon want. Similar to other board games, I like the, being able to build suspense. I, I need I need a game with theme. I, I'm very much a theme guy, and Roland Wrights... One of the biggest complaints about and Wrights is... You're just rolling dice and you're not immersed into it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the user experience. And if you can have just even a decent user experience of playing your game, especially with someone who isn't the biggest fan of rolling rights, I think that makes a great one. The genre itself lends itself to dungeon crawling. Those are probably my favorite ones so far because you're just, it's a grid and you're navigating your way through a dungeon. I I played a lot of TTRPGs back in the day. So it kind of has that feel. You're rolling dice. But I don't know. I, I just think a, a game... I wanted to make a game where you can look at the, the player board and skim the rules and be okay. But I feel like most and rights, there, it has such a high learning curve because there's so many icons and things are... I hate to use the word intuitive because I think intuitive sometimes people are just being lazy and they're not trying to think outside out the box. But I think having the the barrier of entry is a lot lower if it's designed well. And I think with Marsh Hollow, I'm trying to design it in a way where the barrier of entry is not, because most people who look at roller rights, their anxiety just tells them, absolutely not. Yeah, that's a super important
2: point. I think when it comes to design in general, I mean, you were cautious there in the use of the word intuitive, but the the less time a person needs to take Convincing themselves that they're capable of playing your game, or that it, that they can learn it quickly enough to start having fun, um, the better off you are. I think a lot of times people look at games, and if they're not super hardcore gamers, they look at the rules, and they're just like, "This is a lot to onboard right now. I just want to have a good experience." And the more you can make your game, you know, feel like I just look at it and understand kind of how the pieces are gonna start to come together, even if there's still some amount of rules that they have to onboard. Just having that user interface be somewhat familiar or somewhat intuitive, I think, helps people pick up new games much, much faster. Um, And I felt that way with with Marsh Hollow. There were some things that it took some time to, to onboard, but generally speaking, you understand that there's a fire. You understand that you have water. You understand water puts fire out. You see marshmallows on fire. You recognize that you have to put them out. Everything kind of, there's a lot of things that are much more intuitive. Whereas when I sit down and play a game like Cartographers, it it's not immediately intuitive. I've got trees and farms and, and, and water and there's mountains and there's, and I'm like, what am I, what am I doing here? Am I trying to draw a map? And it takes a little bit more time. I mean, Cartographer is a great game. It's very intuitive once you once you actually onboard it, but it doesn't have that same obvious mechanical story that anyone can put together just by looking at the game board and say, okay,
0: there's a fire, there's water. Okay, yeah.
2: this is my objective.
0: I think that when theme works very well, it's like theme informs me- mechanics and to the point where it's like, oh, I can do this in the game because in real life or like the closest thing to this real life that we are representing it works like that. And it's like, you know, it's like the best rules in Dungeons and Dragons are the ones it's like, oh, I tripped over my shoes today because I rolled a two on my dexterity check while I was walking down the street, you know, and it just like, it almost clicks and it's almost like then you have that, like, you know, the game mimicking life, mimicking the game where you almost start thinking in game logic when it's a, such a well themed but also well mechanized game. Um, but the other thing I think is very inviting about Marsh Hollow that based on the other role and rights you've shared with us, I think, it, you know, you've launched onto something. It very much reminds me visually of like an SNES game, like a game that you, you would see on your SNES, like a top-down map, you know, uh, type top-down map. I'm thinking Bomberman. I'm thinking of like, uh, well, I think it's called like Aliens Ate My Parents or something like that, or Zombies Ate My Neighbors, those kind of games. And I think So there's that nostalgia, yes. at least for my generation.
2: I, I get Zelda and Pokemon vibes as well you know
1: that, light, that, yeah. w- that was one of the goals is to mm-hmm. like have a map where in order to interact with it you have to like cover it right so in the game mm-hmm. to save one of your marsh save a marshmallow that's on fire you have to cover it with one of your pieces uh, we drew a lot of inspiration from old school super nintendo because we are old school gamers uh, we also mm-hmm. drew inspiration from uh, cult of the lamb which is a game that's on steam for uh, the art and then the art for the game is rubber hose it it, it it changed from a couple styles, but we ended up on Rubber Hose, which made me happy because it's the original style that Goofy was done, and I'm a
0: huge mm. Goofy fan. <laughs> no. I'm a Donald boy myself.
2: Put him yeah, you're, you're probably Donald Ducking right now, if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will never know. That's um, what an edgelord would do. Hey, so Kirvin, what's
1: your approach to playtesting? What's my approach to playtesting? Have a purpose. Communicate. I, I like... I I get so confused when people say, "Hey, let's have a play test," and I said, "What am I looking for?" And they just look at me. Like, are you trying to? Figure, am I trying to break your game? Am I? Are you asking about the experience? Are you asking about mechanics? Are you? Are you adding another player? Are you? What are you looking for? And I think, it it I think it's totally fair to if for a game that's super rough to be like, "Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. This is kind of where I'm at. Let's go." I think that's totally fair, but I don't think you should run all your playtests like that. I also feel like people process things differently. And I mean, I'm sure you've known me long enough to know that my brain works very different than most people. And that's why I hate the term intuitive is because how I process information and what I need to give you what you need is very different. And I'm lucky that I know what I need. I'm very upfront about saying, hey, like I need this or why are not you doing this in order to get what you need. So I think first you have to know what you're looking for and then conveying that to your play testers and then taking an obscene amount of notes and maybe give them like a survey afterwards for them to figure it out. One of the things I liked about Marsh Hollow is that it's a roll right? Or technically it's a flip right? And I have played the game probably close to 500 times. And because of my style of play, I- I've tried everything because my brain's everywhere. And so whenever I play test games, it's less of hey, does this game work? It's which mechanics feel clunky and why? Is this game as difficult or as easy as I think it is and why? And is there anything you think I'm missing? And whenever I, cause I think my first play test was after what, 200 games and it was at Gen Con and I played with five very different types of gamers. People who love party games, people who love story, people who love theme, and then people who love really crunchy games. And their feedback was the gambit. And I used a lot of that when I redid the board and had made changes. And the game is, it plays significantly better than when you played it last. Two, two great points there. I think
2: one is if, if you're going into play testing and you don't know what you're, what you're testing specifically, the usefulness of that play test is going to be limited to your point. Totally, totally fine to, to be at a stage in the process where you just need to know whether you have a viable system and mechanics and you're just needing to take the car and see if it can go around the block. That's fine. But as you get into later stage playtesting, you should know what you're trying to evaluate. You know, if you're, if you're late stage play testing and you're just kind of like throwing things at a wall to see what reactions are, that may be a sign that you're not being intentional enough with your decisions and, and, and you're not designing towards a coherent vision. Um, and, the, and the second thing I would say is if, if, if people are giving you a variety of feedback, which is, which is excellent, right? You just said that you had five different gamers and they give you perspective, you know, five different ways that is very, very great, but its ability to be actionable is going to have a lot to do with your ability to have a coherent vision that you can then integrate that feedback in because otherwise you're just chasing squirrels. You're like, okay, well, Tony told me this and Bob told me this and Edge Lord told me this, and you don't know which direction you want to go. And you have to just kind of, you're, you're, the, the game is going in too many directions to end up becoming, coming together as something that is, is coherent. So Having that guiding vision throughout, whether it be what are you testing or what are you trying to build towards is absolutely imperative to get the most out of your
1: playtests. I wanted to add one, one other thing. Okay. Be grateful for your playtesters and like they're volunteering their time. Most people don't get paid to playtest your game and they're often doing like an hour two hours depending on your game. And the one thing that confuses me about board game design forums and people in the industry is that they act like it's so easy to get playtesters. And in actuality, you should be grateful for the ones who are willing to play test your game.
2: Absolutely, hundred percent. It's it is a miracle that people will play a game that they uh, that is in development because you know anyone who's been asked to read the rough draft of a book or a screenplay or or you know anything knows that depending on 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 how how good the person is at, at doing the thing that they're asking you to, to review, it can be a painful experience, you know, it, it, and the fact that someone would donate their time to you and, and, and say, Hey, I'm going to try this, even though I have no guarantee that I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to spend 45 minutes in what might be a challenging situation. Like, don't take that lightly, you know, mm-hmm. that I, sorry for saying, you know, Kervin,
0: uh, I would add something to that. And, I uh, rarely do I think a screenplay or a novel in its first draft phases will make the reader feel dumb but I think a game has the ability to make the player feel dumb and that is a very rough place for anybody to be with it uh, be in is like feeling like they don't get it and they should be getting it mm-hmm. I mean usually when a, a novel or a screenplay does that and puts you in that uh, kind of gets you in that place you have the defensive mechanism to go up and be like this person's just bad at writing. Obviously, they're not communicating their ideas. But for I think a game comes with that more a more rigid structure, a pedigree of like of it working that I think could lead people to feeling like you know, like I said, like they're dumb. And secondly, on that, it's like yes, uh, especially with X Secrets of Fortune, the first few iterations of the game that we rolled out and play tested with plenty of people probably we're not good. We're kind of more of a boring game. I think that the exciting part was, hey, our friends made a game and that's why we got them roped into playtesting our game. But uh, I definitely, uh, I am very appreciative of those early play testers because they definitely got the game up to a point where it was actually entertaining and gratifying.
2: I have a question for you, Kervin. This is a spicy one. What was your impression of the X seekers of Fortune uh, Playtest that you you attended. I think that was the first time we actually hung out in person after Comic Palooza at Uncanny Games, and we kind of roped you in last minute because we were in your neighborhood. Um, probably should have given you more advance notice, but what was that experience like for you?
1: Not probably. You should have. I lectured you <laughs> and said I was you're in my area of town. What the actual heck? Uh, i like the experience as a, as a board gamer was. I, I, I went in with an open mind and I'm glad I did because I, I, when I went to Uncanny I didn't just play the game and leave. I watched people play the game. I watched you guys interact. I watched, I watched y'all explain the game and a huge part of playtesting is just being able to take in information and I, and I think it's helpful. I wanted to be helpful in case I wasn't able to provide anything interesting to XC Cruise of Fortune to be able to provide a different perspective on how the playtest went. So I'll, I'll speak to that first. I didn't understand, like as a board gamer, as a designer, to have, to design a game that's quick, relatively quick, right, it was like 30 or 40 minutes. And then at the end of the game, people just say like, play it back, play it back. And then they started shuffling and doing it again. There was no, oh, hey, like we we should try this. What did you do here? There was not like, it made me feel like board game people are condescending. <laughs> that people were just, like, really quick to be like, ah, uh, it should be this, it should be that. They were able to just enjoy the experience of the game. And then when you taught them the game, like, the second time I was taught the game, and it was probably, like, 10 or 15 minutes, but when you were teaching people the game, they would just read the reference card, which was not made for a board gamer's mind. I think I threw that at you, because I was so mad at that. Um, but, like, to look at the cards, and then be able to talk smack round three about the game. I was like, I have the idea of someone playing a board game that you designed and then feeling comfortable enough to play it to in your first time playing it and talking smack is wild. And that just means that it was designed in a way that TCGers understand. And like, I acknowledge it's a good game. I wouldn't say that I fully appreciate it for like the context for TCGers because I, I'm definitely not versed in TCGs. But the way people were gravitating towards it, the way people were enjoying it, and the way, like, it was the type of playtest most board game designers would kill for.
0: Nice. So I really want to hear more about that, and I'm going to have to listen back to what you say in this next segment because I have to step away probably for about 20 minutes. Bye. Hello. Joel Watts.
1: Joel Watts. As I was saying, no, um... So, like, and I think that's, like, I, I mean, I've told you this before, the second I played X Seekers of Fortune, even though I wasn't in the most ideal mindset, like, I acknowledge that y'all were special. Like, there were board game designers who, who, there's a lot of talking, a lot of dreaming. There aren't a lot of, like, people who, like, deliver on, like, what they say they're going to do. And I played your game, and I designed enough games and played enough to know that y'all put in legitimate time and effort. And there are things that I I knew it wasn't the first play test. I knew it wasn't the tenth play test. And you went in with I just want people to play my game. And the fact that you were willing to do that at Comic Palooza of all places, which is like this massive con, and to have no idea what's happening, and to have me be the first person. <laughs> sorry, hold on. <laughs> and to have me be the first person to uh like play the game and just look grumps the entire time because I couldn't break it and I was annoying Joel like. I was just like, I think I want to be friends with them.
2: Well, it's it's incredible that you wanted to be friends with us despite the fact that you were uh, upset with Joel. But unsurprising that you were upset with Joel because uh, he flashed you repeatedly. Repeatedly? I just wanted to play catacombs. No context. <laughs> <laughs> I I still, I still don't know who you were playing with. I know you mentioned to me once before, but are you in contact with that person? Is that somebody that you... you she was with?
1: in, she was in my board gaming group, at Jason's oh, okay. Deli. Like we played board oh. games, pretty much for like every Tuesday for like a year. So like we Do were very Stelly, uh Do you the
2: Jason's Deli board gaming group?
1: All the time. <laughs> All the time.
3: What's your go-to it, Jason's
2: w- Deli order?
1: Uh, Meeple sub. Nice. That sounds good right now. It's me- it's messy though. But it's fine. People are
2: used to just It's good like, though?
1: It's fine. Like, it, it's fine. I'm not... A, like, there's just it, it. It is what it is, right? I go for the experience. And for Jason's Deli, I think it's good. I would never would crave it. Would you
2: rather go to um, Jimmy John's and get a sandwich from Jimmy John's or get a meatball sub from Jason's Deli?
1: I'm not a sandwich
2: person. Like, I never
1: crave sandwiches. Really? Like, I, like I, I don't understand... Like, the woman make me a sandwich. If it was, like, woman make me a breakfast taco, I'd be all over that. But, like... Uh, <laughs> but woman like make as, me some flan. Bro, ooh, stop it. Stop it. Uh, Tommy made me flan. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Is it choco flan? But, choco flan's harder to make because it's, like, with the glaze. Um, but no, it was just, like, normal flan. But, yeah, I'm not a big sandwich guy. Like, I I just... I, I, I don't... I love bread. I love meat. I love them separately. But, like, together... It just, it's whatever.
2: I like sandwiches. I'm a sandwich guy.
1: I think that... I've never uh, seen you eat
2: a sandwich. I don't live stream myself every time I eat a sandwich. I, <laughs> maybe like, I should have a people, sandwich stream. Some
1: people, some, some people would love
2: that. You're like daily sandwich <laughs> eating. Yeah, I. Uh, you show me the people who want to watch me eat a sandwich and I will, I will stream myself eating a sandwich. <laughs> and, and until they show up. <laughs> I'll leave that to... Uh, to the imagination.
1: I pull favors. I'm just saying,
2: like I said, I'll, I'll go on live and, <laughs> and do a sandwich live, but I, I need, I need some, uh, some evidence that people actually want that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually I wouldn't be surprised. I would actually make for a really good board game, TikTok live where it's just like, you know, four or five creators making sandwiches and talking, About showing off games? their sandwiches. I think that'd be cute.
1: We could do that. Have everyone just make a sandwich talk about games. I think that'd be good. I'd love that actually.
2: Ooh, I got an idea for a game. We each make a sandwich. It has a certain amount of ingredients and then people have to guess what uh, ingredient uh, is on, on their sandwich. And then if they miss it, they have to like take a bite. Take a bite. Yeah. And then (laughs) the the objective is. (laughs)
1: That's cute. (laughs) And the uh, the last
2: one with the sandwich left wins because they had the most exotic ingredients.
1: (laughs) Let's be let's be real. I would have I would have very exotic ingredients, especially with a boyfriend. Lord knows what I would put in that sandwich because all the stuff he has Lechon. Oh, he doesn't eat pork. He doesn't eat pork. He doesn't eat chicken. He doesn't do seafood. He doesn't do peppers. He doesn't do onions. He doesn't. It's a lot. It's a lot. I have a question for you. What would lechon taste like with marshmallow fluff? Cool. You could have like a you could like you could caramelize the the skin. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you could you could you could roast that and caramelize that. That wouldn't be bad.
2: No, I think it'd be okay. I think the sweetness would actually play pretty well with the saltiness. For sure. And then For the sure. crunchiness and the sticky gooiness, I think would also kind of be be a neat combo. Should we do on s'mores? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> You're like ah, uh, you're gonna get my. Uh,
3: <laughs>
2: you can get me dispelled I, from the Filipino community.
1: <laughs> it's bad enough I don't like vinegar. Don't don't make me don't make me banned from lechon. Thank you. Is there are there ube uh, s'mores? Is that a thing? No, but I could easily make ube s'mores. Because
2: there could be ube marshmallows really easily, and I guess if you really wanted to, you could probably do like an ube graham cracker somehow.
1: Yeah, there's a Filipino restaurant in Chicago, which is the first Michelin star one, and they do an ube huckleberry, uh, like pastry, and I love huckleberries, and so I'm literally going go to Chicago beginning of next year just to like get that, and then maybe them for for back.
2: If you're going to a Michelin restaurant in Chicago, um, I will go with you. I <laughs> would. <laughs> I went to a I went to a Michelin restaurant in uh, Barcelona and it was yeah, one said. of my favorite experiences. Um, it was uh Cocina Hermanos Torres, I think that's what it's called. It was fantastic. If you go to Barcelona, I would definitely recommend it. Um so yes, let's please go to a Michelin restaurant in Chicago with Ben. <laughs> with Ben. The... <laughs> yeah. <that>. Ben's like, <laughs> uh <laughs> Yes,
3: already...
2: but also, what? I,
1: vol- <laughs> I volunteer Ben for a lot of things and I'm just like, I was like, Hey, just so you know, yeah, you tell me when to stop. Cause it's going to keep coming. I-, I volunteered him for many play tests. I volunteered him for things at PAX. So it'll. I think Ben's in be- for all of it. But to be fair, he volunteered my body to be on his shoulders. Like he volunteered was your my body? It-, it-, it was not my idea to be carried on his shoulders. That was his idea. I know it sounds like it's mine. My- it was not my idea. He wants to parade me around. I know. And, I, and he was, and the entire time I was just like, um, he was like, how long do you think you'll let me hold you? And I was like, how long do you think you can hold me? And he was like, well, Curren, I'm, I I can squat this. I squat this amount all the time. And I was like, that's cute. You think I weigh that much? <laughs>
3: Here's
1: I was a like, question a for you. Shoot.
2: Do you think more people at PAX Unplugged are going to want to be on Ben's shoulders or going to want you on their shoulders after they see Ben put you on his shoulders?
1: oh all all the girls will be jealous, and all the guys will be confused so um I like bow- Bowser is trying to get Gabe to teach him how to twerk. <laughs> that, is that like, is that
2: one of Gabe's uh workshops
1: that he does like twerking one one or well he's like a dancer. I think it'd be funny to have him get like all the gays and have him teach us how to dance <laughs> yeah, yeah i I think that'd be really'd be really funny. I have to learn a dance before Saturday. We'll see how that goes i
2: think I think um. I think Joel could show you a move or two if you want to uh, have uh, complicated feelings about yourself. I
1: already have complicated feelings about myself. I don't enjoy on top of
2: that. <laughs> so just to be clear with the, with the uh, listeners, Joel has left the podcast <laughs> momentarily <laughs> to show his apartment to a couple, which he may or may not be living with in the future. And given that he does his podcast from his living room, they're going to have this couple in the, the apartment. Joel will just periodically, I'll tell you a story about when Joel first moved to Austin and he moved into a house, uh, as a roommate with this couple. And I got a phone call at two o'clock in the morning from my friend, Sarah, who was mutual friends with the couple that lived in the house with Joel. And she's like, Hey, can you let Joel know that he needs to stop playing the drums at 2am because it's keeping his roommates up? And I was just like, uh, I guess so, yes. So I will text Joel to stop playing the drums at 2 a.m. <laughs> I no
3: birds. No
1: You're
2: words. like not surprised by that story.
1: Not, not even remotely,
2: no. So what are you most excited for at PAX Unplugged this year?
1: I'm excited to meet a bunch of mutuals who were at GenCon. I'm excited like to who? like... Like who? Uh, who? Uh, who... Well, uh, so I'm staying with uh, with a mutual who is a female videographer. Mm-hmm. Like, her degree is also in theater. And we spend many time talking about movie shots and cinematography. And she's a... Uh, I consider her part of board game TikTok because she comments a lot on other board game people's uh, videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she but she just talks about, like, what it's like being a woman in film and having a videography business. I'm excited to meet her. I'm excited to meet... What else did I... Oh, the po- oh there's a podcast I told you about the podcast guy I want you to meet right his name's Tim oh I thought cool. yesterday I found out yesterday he's six seven I was just like 6'7"? Six, seven. Six, seven. he's and he's just like yeah and I was like I'm not even to be at your belly button six seven's huge Oof. that's like a foot and a, that's a foot and a half taller than me and I wanted to do a trend where I give people high fives I don't know if I can give him a high five
2: you can if you're on bent shoulders <laughs>
1: <laughs> ben, Ben, Karen, you like, do a high exclusively.
2: I need, your, I need you for that. That'd be great. That would be really funny, actually, because then, like, you might actually be, he may have to raise up to you because on his shoulders, you've got to have, what, two and a half feet at least if you take your legs out of the equation?
1: I have really short legs. It's closer to three. I have two, I've, so, so I told you, I only have, I have a 24-inch in the So yeah, it's just two feet. So you'd, you'd probably be almost like 9'2". <laughs> I'm on Ben's shoulders, not his head.
2: Oh, that's so fair. Like, so what that, let's like take that two. Eight, eight two. Eight two.
1: There we go. That's how math but works. I was looking at a, looking at the rules of the convention and they there's there's a no stilts policy. So if they call him my stilts, I can't be on his shoulders.
2: That would be really, really odd. I mean I don't know how Ben would feel if he was told that he is stilts. I mean I would have an identity <laughs> crisis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but actually, like but also it's a lot bigger than I think it is and it's gonna be a lot crowd it's gonna be a lot more people than I think it is. It'll be a lot less than Gen Con, but uh I still think it might be crowded enough to where like I'm I might want like it may not be weird for it, have me having it on his shoulders. Instead of just a girlfriend s- grabbing someone's hoodie.
2: Are you gonna so is I, he will- gonna walk around with you on his shoulders or just like yes. pitch up there?
1: Yes. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's not again, not my desire, but like I, I just told him I need four TikToks made and he told me he needs two and then we'll, we'll go from there. But also how are my, how are we going to put him on his shoulders? I have no legs. I'm like, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, I, I hope that, that Ben um, has been working out his back because I can't lift anything. Quads.
1: He's been doing his quads. He's doing squats.
2: Well, I, I I do see him working out a lot on TikTok.
1: And he and he grew out his beard for me because I made jokes about when I hug him and he doesn't bend down whether or not his beard would touch my head. And I think his his beard will touch my head now.
2: Depending on the day between him and Matt, I feel like I'm walking into uh, what is that Planet Fitness or what do they
1: call that? <laughs> <laughs> What is that gym thing? I
2: don't, I don't, know. I, I, I oh. don't know. I don't know, gyms. Um, I probably should. It says more about, about the state of affairs over here than it does about uh,
1: anyone else. But Every time I hug uh, Matt at Enemy Board Games, I always say, Don't break me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good disclaimer
2: to give people. Right. I think more We're people should go around saying, Please don't break me.
1: Yeah, I'm fragile.
2: Why is the Goofy movie the best movie ever made?
1: Feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. It has all the feels. Uh, mm-hmm. Great storyline. It has great music. Has awesome dance sequences, and it has Goofy, who is arguably like the best Disney character ever. It's
2: so underrated. Like I, I feel like this is like probably one of the best Disney movies that many people have not seen. Like probably the majority of people have not seen the Goofy movie. Because it is somewhat niche.
1: I had no idea it was niche. I was at Disney because I, I lay over a lot in Orlando, and there was a there's always kids with like Goofy stuffed animals, and that like I made a comment like, oh have they have you seen a Goofy movie? And their parents are like, wait, there's a movie about Goofy? And I was like, how are you a millennial? I don't understand. I get like visibly angry and upset. And I'm just like, it. Please Google it. Thank you. And I just
2: walk away. It it's such a powerful movie about the, the the father-son relationship and the sort of distance that you know we we find between us and our parents sometimes as as we get older. And I think you see both the the child view and the parent view. You know, I think
1: very
2: well. As a kid, I definitely, you know, I I could get where Max was coming from, like this idea of wanting to you know, have space and and to do his own things and sometimes, you know, finding his dad to be a handful. But as a as a father, I now, you know, I'm finding myself relating more and more to Goofy. Uh probably not surprising to anyone listening at home. But um yeah, I mean there's definitely this feeling of wanting to reach out for your kids and not necessarily knowing how to connect with them sometimes. So um definitely one of my, my favorite all time movies, not just Disney movies. I would I would say that it's it's very, very high up there on on the most impactful um movies I've ever seen, and certainly the ones that elicit an emotional reaction from me when I watched them.
1: I, I mean I've told you the first time I heard the song eye to eye at the end of the movie, I heard it as like I heard it as a slow song a cappella. Like an acoustic a really? cappella. The first time like I heard the song, but in my brain that's how it processed. And so oh. and so that's why I've been saying that when I get married, my friends are going to sing that song a cappella because all of my friends are all theater people and they all sing. And so they're going to sing my first dance song. And everyone's just like, "Carvin, blah, blah, blah. And it's been like 20 something years. And I'm like, nope, it doesn't change. Like to the point where when me and my boyfriend were talking about like deal breakers, I told him if he had his first slow dance song picked, we should pick another person because that will not change. I will choose that over you every day. <laughs> Luckily for me, he said he didn't have one deck. And I said, "Dead." Oh man, I feel like there's
2: going to be a frenzy for people trying to get into your wedding party. I feel like a lot of people are going to be jockeying for position for that.
1: It's, uh, it's,
2: it's. it's <laughs> to be clear, you're not engaged at the moment. So for people tuning in here, confused, thinking that no. we're we're, but well, uh, well. but yeah, you have you you like everything in your life are very uh, premeditated. Uh, and intentional. And I think you probably know top to bottom what you want your wedding to be. So In,
1: intense. I will take intense. That's fair. Intentional, that, not intense. You're very that, intuitive, you know? You're so intuitive. <laughs> so intuitive. <laughs> but no, like, it, it always confuses me when people play one of my games or I provide feedback to one of their games. And they're like, wow, that was like so well thought out. And I was like, I talk about diversity on TikTok. Of course, I'm going to be like, Like, I'm going to have really good thoughts and use the right words. Like, why are you, you're surprised I'm articulate? I'm not just some random, I I always, I always joke that I don't have the privilege that like allies have just talking about diversity and just winging it because they they, they can apologize and it's fine, but like, it's very different when a, like a BIPOC person or a queer person like misspeaks and then just like, uh, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, I mean we wing we wing our opinions on diversity all the time. It's just one of the the many privileges (laughs) that we're assigned at birth. Must be nice. (laughs) Uh, It's a burden.
1: (laughs) Such a burden.
2: You know it's a burden is the fact that Joel has abandoned the podcast and he's the host, meaning we can't even end the podcast if we wanted to, like we have to just talk and talk and talk for hours until he comes back for us. I feel this reminds me of when I was a kid and I was taking piano lessons and I had a very strange piano teacher. um, And I won't say their name because they were, they were a very strange person and they had me in a small brick room with, with, the windows covered in bars, and they were giving me a private piano lesson. And he got up and he said, "Um, wait right here. I have to go. I'll be back. If anyone comes looking for me, I was never here. And then he locks the door and leaves. And an hour later, he had not come back. And I was like, 10 years old, maybe, maybe 12. And I'm over here just saying to myself, What is happening? I have no phone. This is brief cell phone. The walls are thick. No one could hear me scream. I'm not saying I was screaming, but if I was screaming, no one could hear it. And eventually the person who was coming to pick me up that day, like went to the office and was like, has anyone seen Danny? I don't know where he is. And they had to like find the piano teacher who was God knows where to come and let me out of the room. And I was just there for an hour. So this is what this podcast is starting to feel like with uh, Joel being the, the the crazy piano teacher in this scenario.
1: Yeah, he makes me feel like every ally ever, where they just say like do all the work and I'm currently there and they're not. <laughs> yeah, D- Joel. Joel.
2: Uh, hopefully, hopefully Joel is closing with these uh, potential people here who you want better. to uh,
1: just judged just for no reason. <laughs>
2: Ugh. Ugh. Did your video drop out? Your your camera?
1: My Discord did,
2: yeah. Uh, it, not, did it crash on
1: your phone? I I think I did a thingy on the earbuds and it closed it
2: out. I was I was very professional. I realized that I was talking to absolutely no one, and I just continued telling my story. And here he is. He is back. Joel, and were you Taylor listening to ever. that whole thing? You're on mute. We muted oh, you, Joel, oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, we did I not can't. want
1: your. We Personal never want to
2: business. hear you. It's true. Um, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep it really high level. I'm gonna just talk about um, play testing. On the play testing front, I think going in with an actual vision for what you're you're trying to achieve, and being able to gather and process feedback, um, while also communicating to your play testers what it is that you need them to play test. Um, I think being grateful uh, for your play testers is another big takeaway. I think that TikTok is an extremely powerful network building tool, and sometimes it is perhaps much, much more effective to build your network in advance of going to conventions rather than using conventions as your main means of networking because people may already be booked out. I think that the, the jump between designing a game like a party game and a roll and write are not that dramatically different. I think that it's it's really depends on what your approach to designing games is and whether or not you are trying to understand the underlying mechanics of how something works. Um, I think that we talked a little bit about diversity, and I think we talked about um, the lack of uh, new voices in, in the game industry and, and some of the struggles there um, to to break into the game industry and to have uh, voices that are not sort of the standard uh, homogenized voices that, that we're hearing get heard um, that sometimes we need to, um, I don't know. I think I'm losing the
0: plot here. <laughs> I have one more to add. <laughs> okay. Stim Lords drool, Edge rule. Sorry, Kervin. Breaking news, Fortune Seekers. X Seekers of Fortune now has its pre-launch page live on Kickstarter. Click the link in the description below so you can be one of the first people to support X Seekers of Fortune. Also, there's probably going to be some bonuses if you support within the first 24 hours. So be on the lookout for those announcements coming soon. Thank you so much, Fortune Seekers. Please... Support the game. Support the show by liking this episode and subscribing to our podcast. And you know what? Support each other. Back to the show.
2: So last week when Sam was here, Orangeful, or we played a game. And the way the game works is that one person is assigned a word. I will assign a word as the game master. And the person who is assigned the word has to get the other person to guess the word. Um, but they can only say one word at a time and they have to wait for that person to reply. And you just keep saying one word at a time until you get them to say the word that is your your secret word. Um,
1: you say so, literally quote one word at a time or any one word at a
2: time? Just one word at a time. So, for example, I might say apple and then Joel would say fruit and then I would say seed and then he would say fruit. Farm and I would say tree, and then he might say orchard. If orchard was the word, so it's just bounce back forth until you can get the it's person like to say the, the secret word.
0: So will Curvin have the word first, or will I? I'll
2: give Curvin a word first. Curvin, are you good with that? I'm going. Okay. I'm going to DM you on the site here. Did okay. you get that? I did. All right. All right, Joel, go for it. I mean, Curvin's starting, but
0: okay, I'm ready when you are, Curvin. Joel, hot. Not hot.
1: <laughs> Nerds. Landlord. Uh, I
0: um, uh, what was that be called? Landlord. Not. Not not. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say that. It seems mean. Oh, but I'll just, I'll just say it because it seems like. Is it Danny?
1: What foreplay?
0: Um gentlemen corner F one race
1: What orthogonal
0: <laughs> um square side uh co host This is ridiculous I, WWE WWE Wrestling Christian, did you say Christian? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know where he's going. Christian, Christ, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> Christian wrestling, Joel. I uh, I don't know, white
1: tag team, Christian tag team. What the
0: fudge? Your
2: you're, you're lack of uh, WWE bona fides here is showing, Joel.
1: Wow,
0: Christ, Christian tag team, Joel, Red, Wrestling, uh, Shawn Michaels,
1: Partner, McMahon, Christian,
0: Colts, Stone Cold Steve Austin.
2: This is this is a dramatic failure of WWE knowledge.
0: I guess so I don't know how Joel how my name and landlord unless it was McMahon uh Trump
1: Slumlord
0: I said Trump right now right it's not Trump
1: Slumlord
0: I don't know famous slumlords uh Triple H (laughs) Hulk Hogan Lita uh, you've, uh, fallen into my trap card. I'm not quite straight.
1: You're straighter than me, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not, not <laughs> definitely not straight as an arrow. Um, hi, mom. Let's <laughs> see. Jeez. I, uh, I straight like, can you, can you give me Come some gay boy clues? copeland did you say oak copeland
1: Copeland.
0: the godfather oh that's copla adam the garden of eden
1: copeland
0: uh i'll just just to keep the game running i'm just going to say jesus christ our lord and savior i don't know at what point we should eliminate
2: him here curvin but i feel like he's he's um i'm going this
0: road goes two ways danny (laughs) This road goes two ways. No, no,
2: no, no, no. This is this is this is certainly your your failure, your failure alone. You did not know the WWE reference, and you have purported to be a WWE historian.
0: I have never Mm -hmm. reported that. I said I've recently actually been turned on by WWE because they actually have lady wrestling. Straight Lady
2: Wrestling turns you on? Is that what you're saying? I literally I'm saying that it's far
0: more entertaining than men wrestling. I'd rather I literally see women wrestle than men.
1: One of the most famous WWE wrestlers of all time. You and did? I do have no idea for that
0: it. Lita. I just Lita. Okay. Well, I don't yeah, I, like I said, I don't know the WWE like that. I have Do an you era know who
2: Do you know who Christian's tag team partner is?
0: I, I Christian to me is a religion. Lord have mercy. Um I, re- I do hope so, upon all of us, upon death.
2: All right. Well, I think we're going to have to <laughs> t- reveal this one because I don't think that he uh, is going to get it being the edgelord that he is, so.
0: for edge edgelord, yeah, that- not ringlord. It was edgelord. <laughs> the word was edgelord? Correct. Yeah. I should have seen that coming. Wow. Yeah, w-
1: okay. yeah it was slumlord and then not slumlord. Because you for said record, Slumlord bad, Edge Lord good, and Edge is his Christian tag partner. His sti- real name is Adam. I, his real name is Adam Copeland, and he like okay. partnered with Lita forever.
0: Okay, I'm just going. i just going to say I said Lord bad.
2: Oh, that explains why you didn't get this.
1: That's why. That's why you yeah. said Lord. Gotcha. My bad. All right, Joel. Stim.
2: I'm going to send you your word now. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> And just so you know, it's going to be twice. It's going to be a-, a doozy, I bet. All right, Danny, let's see what this little word is.
2: All right, let's get this one started.
0: Muscle. Butt. Did you say butt?
1: Mhm.
0: Okay, cool. Um, swag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> swag. <laughs> mhm. Quad. Lift. Bicep.
0: Manly. Deltoid. Mustache.
1: A manly muscle mustache. Whip.
2: I feel like this is a very interesting approach to trying to get this word across.
0: <laughs> What's bravery? Valor. Um, Arrogance, condescending,
1: toxic, manslaughter.
2: For those at home who can only hear the silence, Joel is deep in the tank. He's thinking sweat is dripping down his brow, his red hair band, which you probably cannot see if you're listening on Spotify or Apple music podcast, whatever it is is uh, looking almost as red as his cheeks. Teeth are falling out of his mouth. Frat.
1: Smarmy. Mm.
0: Masculine. Bro? Um. Man. (laughs) Exhausted.
2: <laughs> I think we've reached the point of exhaustion here. Can I try to get uh, him to get wait, it?
0: Wait, 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 wait. V- hmm. Maybe. Oh, that's two words. Uh. Village. So you're gonna cheat.
1: Excuse me.
0: I said village.
1: You're cutting out village. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, village. Man the a masculine Vikings People Farmer Song The YMCA Other I'm really... <laughs> There's another one Should I give On it a what? go?
0: I really think, I think he's almost there.
1: Okay. Macho? Man? Elaborate. Randy Savage? Mm-mm. Uh, back. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate on Macho? Bam. Yes. That was God, the worst God, way God, ever God, to God, do it. God. Oh, you got there. That
3: is, did I?
0: You said Machismo, did you not? Oh my God. That was awesome. Yeah. Results, baby. That's
2: what we do around here.
1: No, we, wonder, we people hate subjector. no, wonder,
2: no wonder people what? hate.
1: Party, no wonder people hate party games. Oh, I thought <laughs> you
2: were going to say, no wonder people hate the podcast. <laughs>
1: no, they will I'm after this episode is live. I'm not that mean. Oh you, boy! Will, well, will you do will you a word for? Can I give you a word for you to do to Joel? Sure. Map.
0: Adventure. Maker. Cartographer.
2: Bingo. See? Hard.
0: Yeah, that was a much easier word. You give it's me a one, I'll
2: do a Curvin.
0: <laughs> okay. Come on. Okay. okay.
2: Me yeah, a let, yeah, let, yeah. Let him do me. <laughs> I'm Knuff. Okay. Nietzsche. No. No. Egypt. Nile. Mm -hmm. Nietzsche. Pharaoh. Okay.
0: Um, I'm just going to sit back and do this. Philosophy. Rome.
2: Egypt Lake River Nile Philosophy Denial Meaningless
1: Worthless Philosophy Is it like nihilism? That's like the only word I know. Mhm. So That's literally the only like philosophy word I know. Cool. nihilism yeah. yes <laughs> cool
0: nah no. well nihilism. done
1: yeah. do I know what it means no fucking idea it's just a word <laughs> you Still got it <laughs> nihilism wording. means the
0: belief that nothing has
1: meaning <laughs> oh no I literally just wrote random stuff philosophy class that's stuff was great. No idea
2: uh I, f- I feel ya yeah all right Joel
0: excellent awesome well I think we all got a good round in and uh you know I I think we all want a little something here and that something is knowledge and friendship.
2: Said like a true edge lord.
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Kirvin, did you have anything else you would love to express to our audience today?
1: No, I'm good.
2: That's where like I wish I had like a AI deep fake of him saying I wish I had not done the podcast.
1: <laughs> I wish I had never right, done sure the I'm sure we podcast. can
2: can we use that right. as a testimonial?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Megamoth men are useless. I don't understand what they're making me do. They have no idea what they're talking about. One just left for 40 minutes in the middle of the podcast. I don't really? feel valued. Oh, sorry. He he hmm. mansplained to me it was 30 because he wasn't here for it. So you want to make sure I had it correct. Yeah, yeah. I had a stopwatch going.
2: Were they interested in the apartment?
1: Yes.
0: Are they interested, interested in you? In you? <laughs> that seems inconsequential to me getting a new uh, roommate but i do think that they seem like they were uh you know like they seem like they were like hey i could vibe with this guy do they turn the I'd pineapples like upside down
1: that's a good question what? did you ask
0: do they, they turn turned... the pineapples upside down correct uh no i did not ask about that i didn't think it was a vital information but i can you have text been them did you text him a uh, pineapple?
3: I could.
2: Yeah, just say, hey, do you prefer your pineapples right side up or upside down?
1: Parentheses cake.
0: hmm <laughs> Well, I think that sounds like a very fun uh, little game to play. I think uh, in matters of business, I should probably uh, avoid that. Um, but <laughs> yes, Kervin, one more time. Where can they find you on
1: TikTok? Uh, at 4 Excellent.
0: And Danny, where can they find us on TikTok? at uh, megamoth studios excellent all right folks well thank y'all so much for coming kervin thank you so much for being our guest today um this has been danny i've been joel reminding you that you must start somewhere so why not here because joel won't be here for the majority of it. when th-
1: when there's an ovum and a sperm and come together it's called a zygote